Okay, friends, we are continuing today in our series through the book of Acts. And as I mentioned last week, we're currently in this part of the book of Acts where it needs to be broken down to a few sermons because the scene we're currently in is just way too long to tackle all at once in one sermon, okay? So we've broken it down to a few sermons. Let me just recap what the scene is about so you guys remember the context of it. If you remember last week, the Apostle Paul, who's the main guy that God's used to kind of um, preach the gospel back in the book of Acts, okay? He was being beat up and attacked by Jewish people in Jerusalem at the time. Why? Because the Jews in Jerusalem at the time believed that the gospel that Paul was preaching, that the good news of forgiveness on the cross that Paul was preaching to everyone, the Jews believed that message was going against the Old Testament. They believed that the cross of Christ was a deviation from the Old Testament story, and that Jesus Christ and Christians are the enemies of Yahweh, right, of the God of the Old Testament. So, because they believed that, they persecuted a lot of Christians throughout the book of Acts, they even killed a lot of them, and it's also the reason why they're beating Paul up in our scene that we read last week. Okay, that's the context. But, as we also saw last week, luckily, there are a bunch of Roman soldiers there, a thousand of them, because we are told that there's a tribune, a tribune is a leader of a thousand soldiers, who were at a nearby barrack, or like fort, near where Paul was getting beat up, and they took Paul into safety, into the barracks, to kind of calm the situation down, because at this point, the whole city was in on it. Okay, there's tons of people here, it's becoming a riot. And finally, in our scene today, for the first time ever, Paul, okay, imagine, picture in your head, Paul sandwiched by the Roman soldiers on one end and by the Jews that want to kill him on the other end, finally opened his mouth and said for the very first time, everyone, look, brothers and sisters, I'm sorry, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. First time he's ever opened his mouth, kept it shut this whole time. Hear the defense that I make before you. Now, the word defense here that we'll read Paul say in the Greek is apologeomai. Apologeomai. Does that sound like another word that you might have heard? Apologetics. Or in Indonesian, apologetica. It's just a fancy word that means the defense of the faith. So this passage is about Paul giving a defense of the Christian faith. This is, by the way, like watching Michael Jordan at his prime doing what he does best. We're about to see, arguably, the best Christian apologist that ever lived defend Christianity. Exciting stuff. How does he do it? What does he say? And what can we learn from it today? Let's get into it. This is the Word of God. It's a long one, so stick with me. Taken from Acts chapter 21, verse 37, to Acts chapter 22, verse 24. This is the word of God. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, the tribune leader said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Let me explain what this is now because I can't fit into the sermon. It was just too long. So a few years before this event, Paul getting beat up, there was an Egyptian assassin. His name was Sikari, which is the word Sikario. You know the movie? The, okay, is an assassin, right? And this guy led a bunch of 
Israel, Israelites to fight against the Roman people. And a lot of people died, but he ran away. And the, they thought that Paul was this Egyptian guy who did the revolt to, that came back. Aren't you this Egyptian who stirred out the revolt? And Paul explained, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. Let me speak to the Jewish people who want to kill me. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city in Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I, too, persecuted this way or Christianity to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as a high priest and the whole council of the elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those who also were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way to draw near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who are with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand of those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth, talking about Jesus. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now... Why do you wait? Rise, be baptized, and wash away all of your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know I'm, I'm one of them. I was one of them. Okay? Um, they, they know that in this one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this point, up to this word, the Jews listened to him. But then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth for he should not be allowed to live. And as the Jews were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune, or the Roman soldiers, ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. Thus says, says the Lord. Okay. How did Paul here defend Christianity? 
Let's break it down. He defended Christianity first by presenting Christianity as a governing story that hinges upon sacrificial grace worthy to be declared to the ends of the earth. He defended Christianity by presenting it as a governing story that hinges upon sacrificial grace worthy to be declared to the ends of the earth. Let's start with our first point. We see Paul here defend Christianity by presenting it as a governing story. Now, what do I mean by a governing story? A governing story is the overarching story that you think the world is about. It's the overarching story that you believe explains the world, that explains all of life. And everyone, every single one of us here, has a governing story. You can know what your governing story is by the way you answer questions like, why are we here? What is our purpose? Are we random products of nature? Or did someone create us? If so, who is this creator of life? What's he like? What does he want from us? Is there anything after this life? Your accumulative answer to all of those things make up your governing story. And that governing story will direct you to live a life a certain way, okay? So, for example, if you believe that God doesn't exist, then that'll affect the way you live. If you believe that God only saves a few righteous people who pass his obedience test, if that's your governing story about life, well, that's going to make you live a certain way. If you believe that God exists, but he doesn't really care about us or our sins, he doesn't really, it's not a big deal for him, well, then that'll affect the way you live as well. Whatever your governing story is will affect the way you live your life, okay? And we all have it. And in order to defend Christianity to the Jews here, Paul first showed them how their governing story of life, which is based solely on the Old Testament story, okay? That's their governing story about life. That governing story actually leads them to treating people, especially Christians, in a very unkind way. There's a connection there. That's the first thing Paul tries to show them here. Where do we see him doing that? Well, take a look at the first thing Paul said to the crowd in chapter 22, verse 3. He said, I'm a Jew. I was raised under the teaching of Gamaliel, strictly under the law of our fathers. In other words, he's saying, look, I believe in the Old Testament too. I believe in what our forefathers said. I believe that Yahweh is the one true God. I did. And that's all my story was about. And because of that, like you guys, I too, back in the day, hated Christians. Because that's what I believe life was about, I treated Christians badly, just like what you guys are doing to me right now. You're beating me up. In verse 4, Paul continues to say, I persecuted Christians. I imprisoned Christians. I even killed Christians. Why? Because, based on my governing story of life, Christianity is Yahweh's enemy. You see? Christianity is a deviation from the Old Testament. But, Paul continues to share in verse 6, something happened. Something drastic happened that changed my governing story and therefore also how I live my life. What happened? Look at verse 6. So I was on my way to Damascus, Paul said, to persecute Christians who believed in Jesus. 
And about noontime, Paul said, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And you're thinking, the sunlight changed the governing life of your story, Paul? That doesn't seem, no. That's not what he's trying to say. In the Greek, the phrase Paul used here for a great light that shone around me is actually very obviously pointing to the same kind of light that the Old Testament would use when it was describing the Shekinah glory of Yahweh. You know when Yahweh would appear in the Old Testament? This bright, overbearing light would come upon people, right? For example, when God passed by Moses in Exodus, Moses had to hide behind a cliff because God's Shekinah glory was, was too bright. Paul saying here, what I saw on my way to Damascus as I was about to kill Christians, it wasn't just bright sunlight. It was Yahweh's Shekinah glory that we would read about, guys, in the Old Testament. It shone around me, and I wasn't hallucinating. Ask the people who were with me, he said in verse 9. They saw it too. But here's the crazy part. This is what changed my story. Guess whose voice spoke to me from behind Yahweh's Shekinah glory? It was Jesus' voice. Verse 7, I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth. Behind Yahweh's bright Shekinah glory was the voice of Jesus. This blew my mind, Paul said. And it was then and there that I realized that this whole time I've had the wrong story about life. This whole time I've lived my life based upon the belief that Jesus Christ is the enemy of Yahweh. And now I finally see the truth that Jesus Christ is Yahweh. It's his voice that spoke to me behind Yahweh's Shekinah glory. Paul, you are out of your mind. You are absolutely crazy. No Jew in their right mind who actually knows the Old Testament would ever think that. Oh, really? Well, you know who I met up with right after this event? Paul continues in verse 12. Ananias. Who's Ananias? He's a devout Jew, Paul specifies. He's a Jew who lives accordingly to the law. Paul specifies, he was well spoken of by all the other Jews in his town. He's a legit Jew, okay? And guess what Ananias said to me after he heard about my experience? He said in verse 13, Brother Saul, receive your sight. In other words, Ananias told me, now you finally see. I'm not the only Jew who sees this. I've been blind my whole life. Fellow Jews, we've been blind our whole lives. We've been basing our whole life on a partial narrative. We've been stuck halfway just in the Old Testament. That's been our governing story. And of course, if that's our governing story, that's going to make us do some pretty terrible things, like kill Christians. Why? Well, because that's what happens in the Old Testament if... if if that's your only governing story. In the Old Testament, there's a lot of blood involved when Yahweh was disobeyed. In the Old Testament, there's a lot of sacrificial animals. There's blood involved from sinful people even. But see, we miss the point. 
all that blood, all that wrath that God showed in the Old Testament, all the sacrificial animals that we killed, that was meant to point us to the cross where Yahweh himself would take on human form in the person of Jesus and drink all the wrath wrath that we deserve and shed all the blood that we should have shed to the very drop because of our sin. He took it all upon himself. That's the true governing story of life. That's what life is actually all about. It's about sacrificial grace. You see what Paul is trying to do here? Genius. He's trying to show the Jews how their governing narrative of just the Old Testament can result in some pretty bad behavior if they lived it out to the fullest. It doesn't work. That worldview doesn't work. It allows you to do some pretty bad things. But if they see the full story, if they see the story of the cross, which is what the Old Testament was meant to point to, all the sacrificial animals, what were they about? Who were killed for our sins? Moses, who led God's people out of slavery to the promised land, what's that about? The suffering servant that Isaiah kept prophesying about, who will be pierced for our iniquities? What's that about? What's all of that about? It's about the cross. If you see the full story of the cross, all of a sudden, your governing point of life changes. It's no longer about spilling blood for Yahweh but it's about the blood that Yahweh spilled for us. Life becomes about sacrificial grace. That becomes the point of it, which is our second point. Paul defends the gospel not only by presenting it as a governing story, but as a governing story that hinges upon sacrificial grace, which is what Paul presented to the people. Even in his presentation, he was so gracious. Where do we see that? Take a look at the way Paul addressed the Jewish crowd here who were beating him up. It's very gracious. He said, brothers and fathers, hear my defense. Look, if after this, some of you guys came and beat me up because I preached the gospel, brothers and fathers would not be the thing I would call you. It would be other things. But Paul here was so gracious, brothers and fathers. He was being kind to his enemies. But why? Why was he kind to his enemies? Because Paul was trying to show them here that that's how his governing gospel story now makes him behave. Now he has a different story of life. His story of life doesn't make him want to kill his enemies, like his old governing story. His story of life makes him love his enemies because that's what life is all about, sacrificial love. When God first showed up in my life, Paul said in verse 7, you know what he didn't say to me? Here's what he didn't say to me. He didn't say, oh my goodness, Saul, Saul, what an amazing person you are. He didn't say, oh my goodness, Saul, Saul, look at how obedient you've been. He didn't say, Saul, Saul, look at how much you seek after me. Look how much you pray. Look how much you read the Bible. Look how often you go to church. He didn't say any of that. You know what God said to me when he first showed up in my life? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's the first thing he said. My first interaction with God is that he told me, look, I know that you hate me. First impression. Because all I did all my life is oppose him. 
All I did all my life was hate on him, hate on Christians. I hated the gospel. I hated the cross. Remember that Stephen guy who was stoned to death a few years ago? Paul mentions in verse 19 to 20. That was all me. I led that stoning. His blood is on my hands. I couldn't have been any further away from God when he showed up in my life. There might have been no one else in the world who hated God more than I did when he showed up in my life. I am the chief of sinners, Paul says in 1 Timothy. But yet this God, while I was still his enemy, loved me. He showed up in my life, he revealed to me who he was, and he's Jesus. And all of a sudden, it clicked. Everything clicked. That all the wrath that I deserved for hating him, all the punishment that I deserved for being his enemy, he took upon himself when he died for me, his biggest enemy. That's my story now. That's the lenses that I view life through now. That's how I make sense of everything. All of life is about sacrificial grace. I've, I've shared this story twice before, but I never know how long to wait until it's okay to share the story again because you guys have forgotten. So I'm just going to share it again. If you've heard of it before, I'm sorry. But I just think it was very um, poignant to the point I'm trying to make here. After September 11th, after um, the Twin Towers in New York was attacked and hit by a terrorist attack, Everybody was angry, and somebody, someone who was angry was a reporter. And this really angry reporter um, interviewed a pastor's wife in New York. And the reporter said in his anger, See, this is what happens when you religious people become too extreme about your religion. People get hurt. And the pastor's wife defended Christianity in the same exact way that Paul did here. Her response was this, Well, it all really depends on what the governing story of your religion says. If the governing story of your religion teaches that God is a God who rewards all those who kill sinners in order to like purify the world or whatever, if that's your story, well then of course, if you live out that governing story to the fullest, you could end up blowing up buildings. But see, she continued, that's not the governing story of my religion, she said. She said, the governing story of my religion is that God is a God who came down to die for his enemies. God is a God who would lay down his life for the sake of those who hate him. Now, if you truly lived out that governing story to the extreme even, it doesn't make you want to blow up your enemies. You know what it makes you want to do? It makes you want to lay down your life for your enemies more and more and more at all cost because this says that's what life is about, sacrificial grace. This pastor's wife exemplified Paul's apologetics. First, she helped the other party see the connection between one's governing story and their life actions. And then also, like Paul, she helped the other person see what makes the Christian governing story unique as a governing story for life compared to all other governing stories out there is that this is the only story that presents sacrificial grace as the narrator for life 
the only one. What do you mean, Tez? Many other religions teach sacrifice too, and they teach love as well. Yes, they do. But they teach them as virtuous things to do. They teach sacrifice and loving others as commands. But no other religion, no other worldview, no other governing story does the one who give the command himself lay down his life for his enemies. But in the gospel story, you see, you see the difference. In the gospel story, sacrificial love isn't just a command. It's the very fabric that weaves through the DNA of the whole universe. Sacrificial love is the voice of the narrator himself. It's the lenses we make sense of life through. Sacrificial love is a story and the song that serenades over reality itself. It's not just a command. It's all of life. All my life is about now, Paul continues to say. It's to extend the sacrificial love that Yahweh extended to me to the ends of the earth. No matter the cost, I'll do it. I'll do it to you, my fellow Jews, who hate me right now and want to kill me. I'll do it to the Gentile Roman soldiers behind me who hate me and want to kill me, who think we're their enemies. I'll do it. Which leads us to our last point. Paul defended the faith by presenting the gospel as a whole story to make sense of life through that hinges upon sacrificial grace that must necessarily be preached to everyone till the ends of the earth. Last point. It is. How could it not be if this governing story is, is what the creator is about? How could it not be extended to all of creation? Look at what Paul described Ananias telling him in verse 14. Look at the details. Ananias said, The God of our fathers appointed you to be a witness for him about all that you have seen and heard. Read that again carefully. Who did Ananias say appointed Paul to be a witness of the gospel? The God of our fathers. Who is the God of Paul and Ananias' Jewish forefathers? Yahweh. Yahweh appointed Paul to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. This has been the plan all along. This is part of the story. And then look at what Paul said happened after he converted in verse 17. He became a Christian, then he went to the temple to pray. And the God of that temple told Paul in verse 21, Go, I'm going to send you far away to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth, to the Gentiles. Read that again carefully. Who told Paul to go far away and preach the gospel to the Gentiles? The God of the temple. Who is that? Who is the God of the Old Testament temple? It's Yahweh. The preaching about the forgiveness of sins through the cross has been Yahweh's plan all along from the Old Testament. Here is what life is about. Okay, let's summarize, come to a close. Let's summarize what the gospel governing story of life tells us. What life is about. Why are you here right now? Life is about God sacrificially laying down his life so that you and I, his enemies, may be saved. So now go, do the same for others. Tell the ends of the earth and also tell your enemy next door about the sacrificial love. That's what this is about. 
And it was at this point, when, when the Jews heard Paul say this, that's when they lost it. They lost it. They were patiently listening to everything Paul said until Paul said this. In verse 22, up to this word, they listened to him. Then, as soon as Paul started talking about including non-Jewish people into God's family through the cross, through the forgiveness of Christ on the cross, then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. How could he talk about including non-Jews into God's family? We're the chosen race. That's what the Old Testament says. We're God's people, right? No one else. That's the storyline, full stop. I don't want to hear anything else. Let me end with this. There's a huge ironic picture here being painted in this scene. So you've read, we've read this scene. You've studied this scene. Now try and picture it in your minds, okay? So you have the Roman soldiers here facing this way. And you have, you have Paul here facing this way as well in the middle. And then you have the angry Jews shouting to, at their direction. You see the contrast here? The Jews were living out their governing story, and they were shouting words of wrath toward the Gentiles. But Paul, who was living out his gospel story, stood in front of the wrath of the Jews toward the Gentiles. He was in between them. He's the apostle to the Gentiles. He was advocating for the Gentiles, almost as if he was shielding them from the wrath of his own people so that he may reach out to them, his enemies, with the message of Yahweh's sacrificial mercy. Why did Paul stand in the middle of that gap? His whole life, he stood in the middle of that gap, preaching the gospel to non-Jews to bring them into God's family. Why? Because, according to Paul's governing story, there was someone else who stood between him and impending wrath. There was someone else who stood in between him and the eternal scolding that he deserves. Who is it? Who stood before Paul and advocated Paul to the death so that Paul may be forgiven and live? It was Jesus on a cross. So that's what Paul did for the Roman soldiers here. He advocated for them. And at the same time, sharing the gospel to the Jews who were trying to kill him as well. He was living out his story. And after all of this, you'd think the Roman soldiers would be thankful, right? <laughs> nope. You know what they did? Look at verse 24. The tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging. No thanks, you know. He was thanked by no one. He was appreciated by no one. He was hated by everyone. But he kept going. He kept going because in his ears, the narrator of this universe is constantly whispering to him, while you were still my enemy, Paul, I died for you. While you still hated me, I laid down my life for you, so now go. Do the same for others. That's what life is about for Paul. Sacrificial love. 
The whole universe is governed and narrated by a God who laid down his life for his enemies. So that's what Paul spent his whole life doing. He gave and he gave and he gave and he gave every ounce of his being just so that one more soul may hear the gospel and live. I've been poured out like a drink offering, he says. There's nothing left for me to give if I can just save one more person. All my money, all my time, the most productive years of my career, to the end of my final breath, I've given for the preaching of Yahweh's love for his enemies. Friends, what is your governing story? What's animating your life? Who's the narrator? Money? Money? Popularity? Comfort? Power? Security? What's life about for you? What's the story here? Is the fabric of your universe sacrificial love? Is the cross of Christ the melody that serenades your world and dictates every decision that you do? I pray it is. May it be. For his is the story, and his is the glory, forever and ever. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I have failed this week in making you the narrator of my life. I have failed this week in believing that you are the one this life is about and that sacrificial love is what I need to spend every ounce of my being living out and doing and preaching and teaching to others. I've made life about success. I've made life about affirmation from others. I've made life about comfort. Those aren't bad things to have. And we thank you that you give us those things in times of need. But those are horrible narrators of life. May it never be for us. Help your church live her life with a governing story of your gospel, of your sacrificial love. And may you, by us doing so, receive the glory and the praise that you deserve for climbing on that cross and dying for us while we were still yet your enemies. May we see the full story of life and live accordingly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.